Matthew 5, starting with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, a great uh, crystallization of the teaching and especially the moral teaching of Jesus Christ, what he expects from his followers, and uh, how, how he expects them to live their lives. Uh, I think it is applicable to the church, directly applicable to the church. That's why uh, Matthew writes it and records it about Jesus and uh, expects us to live it. In uh, verses 17 through 20, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but Jesus tells tells you that he expects to fulfill. In fact, he, he is not expecting it. He is going to do it. He is going to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he is going to fulfill it, um, first of all, by living his life that way, so that the way his, he lives his life is exactly the way you should live your life based on the Old Testament law and everything the prophets told you that you should do. So you take the Old Testament, and Jesus says, that's what I am going to be doing, everything that it says. Jewish Old Testament divided into three parts, law, or Torah, prophets, Nevi'im, and writings. But sometimes when they just talk about the law and the prophets, that's what they mean. They mean the entire Old Testament. And he says it's all going to come true. He is going to fulfill it. Uh, a lot of the law, we believe, is fulfilled exactly in Jesus Christ. So there are many things that the law says you're supposed to do, which we no longer do, because we think Jesus fulfills it. For instance, in the Old Testament, you would have to go to the temple to worship, or to the tabernacle. How many temples could there be on earth? How many temples? Okay, seems a little fuzzy on Old Testament scriptures there. <laughs> Only one temple. Okay, One temple, you've got to go to one temple to worship. How many of you have been to the temple in Jerusalem? Uh, you haven't been there because there isn't one. <laughs> we can't even do it. <laughs> there is no temple, right? Um, what about uh, sacrifice? Old Testament, you had to sacrifice a lamb for your sins. And one had to be done on the Day of Atonement for your sins. We don't sacrifice animals for our sins. Why not? We believe Jesus fulfills that. 
that the Scriptures were pointing to Jesus Christ giving His life as a sacrifice for all men. Or the Passover. Celebrating the Passover. We don't celebrate the Passover. Jewish people had to celebrate it. They were commanded to. We believe Jesus fulfills it. He is the Passover lamb. The Old Testament, you needed to have a priest intercede with God on your behalf. We don't need a priest, right? I'm not your priest. You don't have to come and go to God through me. You go to God directly through Jesus Christ, right? Jesus fulfills that part of the Old Testament. So when we come to Jesus, he literally fulfills a lot of it so that a lot of the Old Testament, we find it's filled up by Jesus and all of those things that were pointing to God, the way God was dealing with men, Jesus comes and he fulfills it. And now we have this relationship with God uh, based upon Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul will then explain it this way. He would say the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And here's my illustration of that. When you go to kindergarten, how many of you remember your first day at kindergarten? Okay, some of you. Now, I remember my first day at kindergarten. I, I showed up at kindergarten, and we had to line up, and uh, the teacher had put, put in our names above the coat racks. And, and I was the only kid in kindergarten who couldn't write my name. I was embarrassed. I was slow. <laughs> but we had to line up and you had to go in and then you had to go to the coat rack. Everything was regimented. You had to sit in a certain desk. That was your desk. That's where you had to sit. And I remember nap time and you had to unroll a mat and you had to lay on the mat. You couldn't get up and walk around the room. No, you had to lay on the mat. Right? That, that's kindergarten. When you go to university... Nobody's looking after your coat. <laughs> Nobody cares where you sit. <laughs> right? Half the time they don't even care if you come to class. As long as you learn the material, that's the difference between kindergarten, and that's the difference between the law and Jesus. The law is a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ, so it gets you thinking, gets you thinking about basic things. You need to know about God, about how we work as human beings. And then you know something? The fulfillment is Jesus. Now you're graduated. This is, this is the real deal. And uh, I think that's what Jesus means when he says that he fulfills the law and the prophets. He, he, is, he is the fulfillment of it. Uh, notice verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's shocking to people of Jesus' day. Because these are the most righteous people you could possibly imagine. Pharisees, there are only 6,000 of them in the world. It was so hard to live that way. And everyone knew who they were. They're the ones who did everything right. They did, and they, and they let you know they did everything right. On, 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 on the Sabbath, they're the ones who would count how many steps they took because you could only walk so far, and so they would count their steps. 
And if they ran out of steps, then that's where they stayed until the next day. Of course, I think sometimes they were happy they ran out of steps. (laughs) Because then they could just stand there and people would go, why are you standing there? Why aren't you going home? I've run out of steps. (laughs) I, I have to wait till the evening in order to walk home. And so Jesus says, unless your righteousness is better than their righteousness, you won't enter heaven. And that's shocking. The way, the way people would hear that would be, I'm in trouble. Because if, if they're not getting in, and I've got to be better than them, better than people who are trying their hardest, what hope is there for me? Uh, there are two answers. What hope is there for me? Answer number one. Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our sin. Our righteousness exceeds the Pharisees because Jesus Christ pays for our sin and we get His righteousness credited to our account. That's answer number one. Answer number two. Jesus really does expect his followers to fulfill the Old Testament law. He expects us to live a different way. He expects there to be true righteousness in us. There are high expectations Jesus has for us, as we'll see in just a a few minutes. Now, there are seven things that Jesus says seven points of law that he gives that he expects us to fulfill and uh, he gives moral teaching on. And we're just going to look at the first one today. My heading calls it uh, murder, verses 21 through 26. Notice verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder or do not kill. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, do not kill. By the way, who said that? Moses said it. Where did Moses say it? Ten Commandments. How many of you heard the Ten Commandments? Do not kill is one of the commandments. Where would I find that in the Bible? Exodus 20 and somewhere in Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's Deuteronomy 5. I, I'm not sure, though. I think it's Deuteronomy 5. Yeah, two places he gives, he gives the law. Moses writes it, and Moses writes it in those books. Who else gave that command, though? I heard somebody say it. God gave it. Now, how did God give the Ten Commandments? He wrote it with his finger on stone. Remember that? You've all watched the movie? Charlton Heston had the... (laughs) Right? God God wrote the Ten Commandments on those two tablets of stone, and Charlton Heston came down and he broke them. Okay, yeah, Ten Commandments, God wrote them. Before he wrote them, what did God do? God spoke the Ten Commandments. 
And all the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai. And as they came up to the mountain, the mountain was full of lightning. And as they stood at the foot of it, God spoke. And He spoke the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before Me. And so on. And they heard it audibly. Now Jesus comes along and Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not kill. But I say unto you, Wow. Uh, Jesus is claiming authority. And He's speaking authoritatively. Now, to me, it seems to me that the only, the only way that it makes sense is that Jesus puts himself on the same level of, as God. I think that's what it means. Jesus thinks of himself as the same level of God. For sure he thinks of himself as over Moses. He, I, and, and as you read the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament takes it that way. Jesus is on the same level as God. I think that's what that means. You've heard you shall not kill. Moses gave it. God spoke it. But I say to you, now I'm going to tell you what it really means and I'm going to tell you how to really do it. Jesus is thinking of himself as this is a new Mount Sinai. And here I am telling you how you as my followers are going to live. Very powerful. Jesus fills up the commandment. He fills it full of meaning. Fulfills the Old Testament. Now, by the way, I'm not the only one who takes this as uh, Jesus uh, putting himself way up there. Uh, I have heard, and I read this a, a long time ago, I, know, I don't know if it's still true, the most published person in the world is a Jewish writer by the name of Jacob Neusner, and he has written 1,000 books, scholarly books too. And uh, he's got a little book, and I found it in our public library, and the, and the book was called A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. And Neusner was a rabbi, and he was reading the Gospel of Matthew, and he was talking about his take on what Jesus was saying in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and he was looking at this section, and he says, You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And he goes, Jesus is claiming to be on the same level as God. He goes, this is the problem I have with Jesus. Many of the things that he says I agree with, I don't agree with the way he says it. Because Jesus puts himself way up there. Well, notice how Jesus gives his morality. You have, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Notice Jesus is not saying the opposite is true. Do not murder. I'm telling you, go ahead and murder. Jesus is now expanding it and refining it, saying, you know something? In God's eyes, murder, terrible. Anger, terrible. Anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. I know your bulletin has a different translation. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, the Greek word is moron, 
Uh, even you know that Greek. <laughs> Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Um, the word raka means, I've got a number of translations, it means empty head. It would be the same thing as calling a blonde an airhead. Or calling somebody a scatterbrain. Empty head. And of course, I think you know, fool or moron goes, uh, goes without saying. But notice what Jesus does as he gives increasing, increasing levels of punishment. So if you kill somebody, guess what? You're going, you're going to court. If you get angry with somebody, Jesus says, oh, you're going to court. If you call somebody a scatterbrain or an empty head, you're going to the highest court, the Sanhedrin. It would be like going to Parliament or the Supreme Court, the highest court of the land. Sanhedrin was the, the highest court of the Jews, 70, 70 people, 70 elders. And if you call somebody a fool, it, it's like the ultimate punishment, it's, it's hell. If you call somebody a fool, the increasing degrees of punishment. And so I'm, I'm just weird thinking enough that if the worst punishment is if you call them a fool and you go to hell, the least punishment seems to be just to kill them. So you're better off killing them than calling them a fool. Now that's just me. Don't, now listen, don't take that seriously. <laughs> that's a joke, Right? That's a joke, but that's the, way, that's the way Jesus has laid it out. These increasing degrees of punishment, and he's trying, to tell, he's trying to show you that killing someone and being angry with somebody and calling them names, these are serious offenses in God's eyes. And we tend not to take them very seriously. Uh, Jesus' point is that anger... Name-calling are extremely serious offenses in the eyes of God. Murder is as, 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 as bad as it gets. But in God's eyes, the anger and the name-calling, the dismissive language makes you guilty before Him too. Notice how Jesus tries to show people that this is serious. That if you murder someone, it's judgment. Angry with somebody, judgment calling somebody an airhead, judgment at the highest level, calling somebody a fool, danger of the fire of hell. Serious consequences. The uh, recent hurricanes in Houston and Florida. Uh, on the news, trying to scare people by telling them how serious it is. So in Houston, they said to you, if you don't evacuate... You need to put your social security number on your arm so that we can identify your body. Trying to tell people, right? You're trying to tell people this is serious and you're in danger and nobody's coming to help you. In Florida, 
they have been telling people, you will be killed. And so just on CNN this morning, the one reporter said, last night there were people drinking in bars, making fun of those who were evacuating. And he goes, and yet this morning there's a last minute rush to get out of here. Uh, I heard one reporter say this morning that while he was reporting, there was a man on a bicycle riding north. He was going to ride out the storm, but at the last minute he got scared. So he's now on his bicycle riding north. Um, People are in danger of losing their lives. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. Murder somebody get angry with somebody, call somebody a name. It's serious. God takes it seriously. He's going to hold you accountable. Um, it talks about the fires of hell here. The word here for hell is an unusual word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, Gehenna. And they used to have Gehenna in the text, but nobody know, nobody would read it and go, I know what Gehenna is. Gehenna was a valley outside of uh, Jerusalem. That's what Gehenna means, Valley of Hinnom. Geh, Valley, Hinnom, Gehenna. It was the valley outside of Jerusalem where they threw all their trash. And uh, I guess it's better than just throwing it in the street. But they would just throw it in the lowest part. It's right outside Jerusalem. You throw it down the valley. The trash sits down there. And then every once in a while you light the trash on fire to burn the trash. And that word became a word for, that's as bad as it gets, the worst possible place to live would be the valley of the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna where it's trash and it's on fire. Became their word for hell. God's punishment would be to live in a place like that. And he and and so that's the that's the seriousness of it. If you call somebody a fool Hell's the place for you. Um, We live in a world that seems to be increasingly angry. From when I was a kid to today, it seems to be worse. If you take these three things that Jesus is talking about, making fun of somebody's intelligence, uh, being angry, and calling somebody a fool... It seems like these are rampant in our society. Uh, Name-calling is worse instead of better. Um, For instance, uh, past two weeks, the U.S. Open, Italian tennis player, called a woman umpire some terrible names. He did it in Italian. Uh, they were translated. I'm not even going to tell you what they were. He was fined $24,000. He was then kicked out of his doubles match. He might face another fine of $190,000. And he could permanently be banned from all Grand Slam matches for calling a woman umpire some names when he was losing. Um, If you uh, go on the internet very much, many times there'll be sites where you can put comments on the bottom and you can respond to each other. 
uh, most of the time now, those comments have to be turned off. And if you've been on the internet at all, you know why those comments are turned off. Because the language is so vile and so full of name-calling, there's no point in even reading it. And it's like it's nothing today. I know, we're, I know we're trying hard in the schools to stop bullying. And yet it seems to me, from what I've seen of kids, is bullying is worse and more rampant than ever. And it's not the kids' fault. <laughs> it's because they repeat the language they hear at home. Where all we do is call people names. We don't like them and we have a name for them. Different nationality, we have a name for them. Do something we don't like, we call them a name. It really bothered me hearing kids say things like this. One young man said to a girl, you're ugly. So she said to him, yeah, but you're stupid. Then he said, well, you're so ugly, on and on. And she goes, well, you couldn't even pass that class. That's how stupid you are. And that's how how kids talk to each other. Um, I violate this passage sometimes when I'm driving my car. And thank you, Dan, for bringing that up. I can't tell you how many times I'm driving behind somebody and I go, you stupid head. (laughs) That is ridiculous, the way you're driving. And we're so quick, so quick to judge. And uh, the judgments are so final. We don't know, like you don't know why that person's driving that way. Maybe they're just not a very good driver. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't know where they're going. And we're so self-important that we're ready to pronounce... Something about them. Listen to some of the words from Proverbs about being angry. A man of wrath stirs up strife. One given to anger causes much sin. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. If you deliver him, you only have to do it again. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is your glory to overlook an offense. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. I like that one. Right? Did you hear that? When a man's folly brings him to his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. 
Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Jesus gives us two small steps in solving this problem. In verses 23 through 26 of the passage, two small steps. Verse 23 through 24, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So first step number one is if somebody's got a problem with you, you take the step to defuse the situation. And you do it before you do anything else. He says before you offer your gift at the altar. This is more important than worshiping God. It's more important than going to church on Sunday. This is more important than doing, giving your gifts to God. Getting right with people. So if somebody's got a problem with you, try to solve it. First step number one. First step number two. Verse 25 through 26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Settle matters before you go to court. Um, every once in a while I throw on Judge Judy. <laughs> She's the best judge. On TV, anyway. And uh, some of the stuff that comes up there, now I know, I know, I think I know why people go on the show. They do it for a vacation, right? The show pays for you to come up. The show puts you up in a hotel. I, I, maybe they even give you something to drink before you go before the judge. I, I don't know exactly everything that happens. But obviously there's something that goes on behind the show that make people do stupid things. But some of the things that come before the, before the judge, I saw, I saw a mother suing her son the other day for $100. I'm going, come on. Like for a hundred bucks, settle this matter before you go to court. Like why, why are we wasting the court's time with stupid stuff like this and damaging a relationship for a hundred bucks? Jesus would say you go and settle so that relations can be restored. So you're not calling each other names and you're not angry. You go and you settle it. The Apostle Paul gives advice on anger. Ephesians chapter 4. And I know many of you know this passage. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And Paul's advice is, listen, if you're angry, deal with it right then. Get over it. It doesn't last till the night time. If you're still angry and it's now night time, the problem's now you. You deal with the anger. Because if you don't deal with the anger, this is according to Paul, you're giving the devil a foothold. And the devil has a hold on your life and out of anger can come all kinds of terrible things in your life. 
Who knows what you might do if you're angry? Or I like these words from the Apostle Paul. This is from Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to end with this. He says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong words. That's kind of what Jesus is just saying in Matthew 5. But here's the opposite. But the fruit of the Spirit. And I suggest to you that all these fruits of the Spirit, this is the opposite of anger. This is the opposite of name-calling. Scatterbrain, airhead, fool, stupid, whatever name you want to call. I used to call people jerk. That was the strength of my language. That's wrong too. The opposite is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law because you're fulfilling the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Um, If you're like me, You have been guilty of not living up to the righteous standard that Jesus requires. If you've been angry with somebody, you've broken the standard. If you've called somebody a name, even in your car, Dan, (laughs) you've you've broken the righteous standard. And uh, at that point, all we can do is say, Father... We need your forgiveness. Help us to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and help us to live up to him. Forgive us for those ways that we have offended you and broken your law. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.